McLeod version. This is a wide-ranging conversation with the comedian and Instagram sketch performer Tatty McLeod. It is a fascinating talk that really goes through not just her experience uh, creating and performing and uh, what her experiences in lockdown um, presented her with, both in terms of opportunity and challenge, but it also talks in detail about the performers, the life of a performer and what it is to be a freelancer, what it is to believe in your own work and ask for um, remuneration in that way. The um, conversation was such an interesting conversation. We tried to finish it three times before we managed managed to finish it. So you've got the first ending and then on Patreon, we've put the second and third ending. So there's a bit of extra content out there on Patreon if you want to listen on in on Patreon. And it is really the, the second and third endings are really interesting as well because it really goes in depth in terms of what can you charge as a freelancer as a comedian how can you really kind of stand up for yourself not just in the marketplace but in terms of talking to promoters and agents and um, she really does have insight with that I think possibly because she's on multi-platforms and it's just a wild west on Instagram and social media at the moment as well as the the life of a freelancer we also talk about um, how to deal with criticism both self-criticism and criticism from outside and reviews um, she has also got a lot to say in a, about her own creative process about you know morphing your own particular biography into a show and what keeps you creating within a medium so so she, you know, she's got a very specific medium on Instagram. How she burrows down into that and keeps it alive and keeps it creative, I think, is uh, quite an inspiring thing to hear because a lot of people think, oh, that's done. We don't need to do that anymore. And actually, the variety and creativity you can bring to one subject isn't just limited by the fact that you've ticked the box of talking about that one subject um and especially somebody that's got a hundred thousand instagram followers <laughs> it does make you go oh yeah maybe they've got a point maybe they're right on this i hope you enjoyed this conversation and uh, i will talk to you at the end bye everyone hello tatty mcleod hi barry hey um how are you doing you all right i'm good yeah i'm i'm very good thank you I'm, uh, thanks for coming in. The last time I, uh, so you're on my uh, the the show tonight, Angel Comedy Social Club. Yeah. And I saw you on stage for the first time at uh, the oh where was it the, the Lexington the Lexington yeah yeah on that night Linda Tuesday was on and Alexandra Haddo and um, and I I got a call so I had to go out halfway but you looked like it was going well. Are you are you how much are you gigging out and about at the moment? Quite a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's been um, it's been good. Uh, in that sense, I think, I mean, it depends, but usually, I mean, maybe five, six, yeah. six nights a week Yeah. Uh, when, when I can get them, sometimes less. But yeah, it's been it's been pretty good at the moment. Post-pandemic is kind of opening up 
and are you gigging more now than you were pre-pandemic or how much were you gigging before I was March trying to do yeah I was trying to do this much before but I am doing more and then obviously I also I feel like I've been able to move up from that tier where you're not doing bringers anymore mm. which just makes life a little bit easier yeah. Um, and I do feel like I've come out of the pandemic with like a renewed sense of purpose. <laughs> mm. There was like a bit of, you know, it was obviously a difficult time, I think, for everyone. And there was a bit of like soul searching feels like a bit dramatic, but something of that ilk. And then coming out of it, it was like quite, I, f- I feel quite focused and quite like, right. Um, so I've been happier this time or happy to do six, seven nights a week, whereas... Um, before even if I could get that many gigs, would I've done that much? I don't know. Basically, now I'm single, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got renewed sense of focus. Focus suddenly, like it's it's like I've got one big thing that's filling everything else. And I've got nothing like... else to do. <laughs> well, there's um, I, I actually I I couldn't count the amount of people that I know that have said I was very lucky that I was single at that point in my life because it allowed me to to really focus on this thing whether it's business or career or anything else there mm. there is a i think i've heard people say you can only do two things well you know family and career but then you won't be able to exercise or look after yourself or you can you know but you you can't give infinite amount of time to every single thing that you choose to and there isn't always mm. an amount of sacrifice to mm. to you know there's a limited amount of hours in the day to be able to would you ascribe to that or? I don't know. I think balance is really important. Mm. Um, uh, I I say this and I'm also just conscious that it's not like as if I have some like, uh, I, it, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like some huge successful person. You're just like, I need to balance my life out. But, but even if you're not, even if you're not doing Live at the Apollo and you haven't got pay TV gigs and you're not kind of, you know, I think even if you're an open mic night comedian, it is such a huge time commitment. Mm. And on top of that, you're not making a living out of it. So you've got your day job as well. Mm. So that's already your nine to five and then your six to half, 10, 11. And then fitting on top of that or around that being not just a partner, but like a good partner, a quality partner and Mm. giving the other person you know, the time and energy and commitment that they deserve, I think is a really hard Definitely. thing to do. But equally, I think that um, making comedy maybe or, or just making that everything, everything, I'm not sure if that's always the best thing for one's yeah. sort of, I don't want to say mental health, but 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 I think it's also nice to have balance. I think it's also cool to say, do you know what, I'm not going to gig two nights this week. And sometimes I think we can be a bit competitive Mm. within the industry itself and a bit hard on each other mm. it's like oh you're only gigging three nights this week Pfft. week off yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you even want to be a comedian yeah um and i don't think that's the nice attitude it's like well maybe at the moment you've only got the energy for three gigs mm. that week and if they're good gigs and they're quality gigs then it's worthwhile mm. i really felt this when i was in new york because mm. i was in new york before the pandemic right and I went out there thinking, New York, like the holy grail of comedy. Yeah, yeah. Like this is going to be, like that is where stand-up comedy was born. Like I'm going to go there and I'm going to, I really wanted to get better. Mm. Like I was like, I'm going to improve, I'm going to get really good. I'm going to gig a shit ton. I'm going to see amazing comedians and I'm just going to really use this as like a, a solo lab yeah. to just get loads of stage time and get better. 
and um, and you can you can give five nights you you can give five five times a night if you want to seven nights a week yeah. in New York, mm. but I don't know that some of the gigs I went to were even worth it. Yeah, you know you'd go across town and then you turn up. It'd only be comedians. Yeah, uh, the first people there to sign up get to go on stage first. People leave. No one listens. No one cares. Yeah. I laughed at a guy's joke. I swear to he was shocked. Yeah. He actually stopped his set and like looked at me. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, if you're so unused to laughter, yeah. if that's so, um, per- like, per- he was so perturbed that someone laughed at something that he said, I thought, well, how? That's not quite a good sign, yeah. <laughs> what is this? Then you're obviously not practicing, your, you know. Yeah. You couldn't even tell if your material was good because no one was going to laugh at it. Yeah. Um, that's my experience of New York as well. Of like was it really? Of, yeah. Okay, that's good to hear because I did wonder: is it because I wasn't good enough, or, or because, yeah, I wasn't good enough? But if someone was really good, they'd get those comedians laughing. But yeah, yeah so did you find that as well? Well, it's, it, I think it's in, it's interesting because obviously everyone's got a different perspective. So I stayed with Sean Patton when I was over there, who was doing like the cellar and the stand, and, right? And that experience in New York, you can absolutely see exactly that there's you know there's a real usefulness to the the tone of the place and you can really work and I, Daniel Simonson had just uh, I know Daniel from ages back and he's but he's got a very kind of like pathological I'd almost say masochistic relationship to the art of stand-up in that he just wants it to be harder and harder and harder like he went to New York because he was like it's too easy for me here man it's <laughs> like people know who I am people just laugh I don't want that I want you know <laughs> and and so he glories in going into those environment because he's got the sensitivity to kind of go, right, I'm checking with myself. And But when I went to those those kind of gigs, those particular gigs like you're talking about where you can do five and it's, you turn up and there's a pizza hut or, and it's in the corner of a pizza hut and there are three people and like, yeah, we're going to do this. It's like, I don't think anyone's getting anything out of this. Yeah. Like, and I found that, like, I saw Jada Garofalo, like, being brilliant in front of four people in the back room of a nail bar. And I was like, and it wasn't, yeah, that gig, that the nail bar gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And it's been turned into a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my, yes, and yes, I like, did that gig. How is this a thing? And I, I was just like, and you know, and then I, uh, I tell you, Zach, having that gig, I was there. I turned up first because I wanted to go on to a different gig afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I ended up being pushed to the bottom of the list. Yeah. Because the guy who ran it then wanted to, uh, wanted me to go with him to another gig afterwards. Right. Classic. <laughs> By the time I went on stage, I'd seen twenty people before me. I think I was one of two women doing the gig, yeah. and and by the time I got on stage, there was like three people left in mm. the room, yeah. and I'd been there maybe for two hours, yeah. and I was just like, I don't know that this was. I feel like I should have just gone to the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I just or watch the show at the cellar, you know? Yeah, and, and it's, I don't think it's... I, I think that there are so many people doing it in New York, it's really hard to find a usefulness in that. Like, you know, I think if you're this, a certain type of performer, like Daniel Simonson is is a good example of a performer that's really checking in with himself. It's less about the audience. And, mm. it, like, he it's almost like he needs less to find out, like, if something's got a big laugh or not, as to just, like, externalising and, you know, he's... But I... I if you're if you really want to know how your material is going, I think it's absolutely pointless because you're everyone. I've just so many gigs where comedians on their phone thinking about their material, yeah, and you know, and one by one they'd leave, and they were huge acts being in those gigs, like Mark mm. Normand or you know, or or Jada or you know, um, 
uh, Garofalo, Janine, sorry, Garofalo, um, Jeanne, and um, it's just it felt pointless to me as well. I'm just kind of saying, and and it does remind me of what I felt like the UK scene was like for a long time. Like the reason, one of the reasons Angel started was because I was traveling up and down the country to gigs that should never have happened and paying to get there. And just like, there isn't, these aren't gigs. You, I'm not learning. It's like trying to do long distance training by running on rubble. It's like, I, I'm not getting better. I'm just kind of yeah. like, you know. It's, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think also there's another, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, I don't, I'm not necessarily attracted to the idea that, um, I need to be able to win over everyone, mm. you know, which it sounds like that's sort of what Daniel Simmons' idea was. It's mm. like, I'm going to win over everyone, yeah. which I don't know if I prescribe to that. I think you're also allowed to say like, oh, this is what I do. And I'd like to find people who enjoy seeing me do this. Mm. And and great if you come to my shows or finding, I suppose, an audience that matches the sort of comedy that you like to do and that they enjoy it as well. Mm. So it's... Um, reciprocal as opposed to you don't like me now but I'm going to work at this and make you like me mm. I'm not sure that I necessarily would 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 want to do that mm. and that sounds that sounds really exhausting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and and I also think that one thing that I've noticed as well is that sometimes what's really difficult is that you the, those open mic nights where you've got the people who are just starting out, sometimes the hardest. Yeah. And you don't even realise that. You realise it after when you start doing better rooms and bigger rooms mm. that you realise that, oh, it isn't just that I've improved as a comedian. It's also that actually these rooms are easier. Mm. The people are here for it. They've paid, it, uh, uh, they've paid money to be here or whatever and um, the MCs work the room really wonderfully and so by the time I get on, they're on board and they're... And they're really open to me being funny and they're confident. They're confident that you are going to know what you're doing. And so yeah. there's that confidence in you yeah. before you even get on stage, which is so hard to win. It, that's a, a sometimes also the challenge when you're at an open mic as well. So, yeah. yeah. If people believe in you, it's much better be to be good if people expect you to be good. You Completely. Know, it's like it is a positive feedback loop, definitely. And vice versa. If people think you're going to be bad, it's like, I think, you know, I, often, I, I mean, this is, I remember going to a jungler's 10 years ago and the crowd's reaction to a female comedian coming on stage absolutely undermined the positivity. Like there was, there was a real uh, sexism. There was a groan then. in the there audience. Was, yeah, <laughs> there was. I mean, oh, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. And that almost stacks the odds against of whatever course. that performer is. You have to and, top and then of it the set, you're working against... Yeah. You know, and, and you can kind of... Almost there's a groan at open mic gigs when a new person comes on and just like, I want to be at home. <laughs> like, what hope mm -hmm. have you got, like, rather than on a Saturday night in a busy room, it's like, oh, who's it going to be? You know, mm. it's automatically a, a positive mm. thing. Mm. Like, so when, like, talking about New York and then the, the lo lockdown happening, and you're talking about focus, you've kind of come out of it with with more of a focus a mm. little bit more. What would you say that kind of focus is in terms of where you want to be headed and what you want to do? So if, let's say, pre-pan, if I'm picking it up right, pre-pandemic, there was a, you're out kind of performing more on stage and just getting stage time and maybe doing some gigs that in, on reflection, like, well, I don't know how useful mm. they were or they were kind of mm. a bringer or whatever. And then coming out of lockdown, you've got a different type of focus. Like what, how would you characterize that difference in focus of what you're doing? I think in many ways it 
the, the, the energy is the same in the sense that before the pandemic and still now, it has always been... Like, I think the ambition comes in levels. Mm. So I think the level one is to be able to just financially support yourself mm. as a creative yeah. through doing creative endeavours. And that can be something which can be a whole host of things. It can be whether you are um, running workshops mm. or doing paid gigs or doing adverts or, you know, but through your creative endeavours as opposed to I've got a side job yeah. and I get a, sub, a, a sort of additional bits of income from this, but it's not the main one. So I think that can be like, that's has been for a very long time, the level one. Yeah. And then, you know, the level two and the level three, the sort of, you know, you go above that. It's things like, oh, I'd really like to create a solo show that is a really nice reflection of me as a person mm. and which I believe in and which I really enjoy performing. I'd love to take that on tour. I love it to be well reviewed. I love it to do well. Mm. I'd love to get commissioned to do something for TV or and or radio. You know, those are all the things that I think you sort of level up. Mm. Um, so they're always there, mm. but it's sort of, I think, you know, it's working through those different kind of layers. So that I think was definitely the same. The ambition was the same pre pandemic mm. but I think that I had this sense before the pandemic that I was never ready like I always mm. put my abilities on this future point like I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to do all these gigs and then I'll do that course mm. at UCB and then I'll go to Chicago and I'll do these other gigs and then I'll do that course at Second City and then when I come back I'll be like I'll be a completely different comedian yeah, yeah, yeah. then I'll be like really good then I'll be the comedian mm. that you know in my head I hope to be yeah. and I think that um one thing I did realize was just that I suppose it's just it's it's right now it's not at that future point you have to yeah. back yourself the way you currently are in the knowledge that you're not the best and you're definitely not as good as you're going to be hopefully mm. but that this is where you are right now and and I'm confident in my abilities and what I can bring to the stage and so just to push forth and to accept mm. me right now and I think that that was the difference pre and post pandemic and I guess just feeling like right well we're just gonna have to crack on we've had a year off yeah <laughs> you know I, I don't know if there's so much time to sort of be like oh but can I but oh and just to be like yeah you've, you're gonna have to have this mm. you know you're gonna have to you got this and you need to got this because yeah there's you need to kind of cr crack on a bit that sounds like a very kind of that's a very clear description of the focus and also a kind of healthy relationship to the black page I, you know i think often as a creative one of the most difficult things to do is to start again you've made something now i've got to start again and you know i think i was talking to ali woods on um on the podcast about his own relationship to making stuff, you know, video stuff of like, he just has to give himself the deadline and do it. Mm. Even though, even if he doesn't 100% believe that he can do it, I'm just like, no, I'm making this thing because it's always the right thing to do it. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's never wrong to do it. Uh, even if you don't know how it's going to work or you don't know how it will play out. And I think that the people that I know that are successful for whatever reason from many different perspectives come to the creative process of like, well, I'll just do it. Absolutely. You know? And and if you don't do it, you 100%, if you, if you don't run for the bus, you definitely won't catch the bus. Yeah. If you run for it, you might fall flat on your face or you might not catch it, but at least you're in with a chance of catching the bus. Sometimes know? I think, it's, and it, again, it's a really difficult thing because 
um, you've got the element where you have to be able to be you have to be open to criticism and you have to be able to be um, you have to be able to analyze yourself and think about yourself enough that you can think how can I improve mm. and you always need that but mm. also you can't overthink stuff because yep. if you're too critical of yourself I think you really second guess yourself and then you're not going to really want to do anything yeah. because all you're going to see is the bad and I thought it was really interesting because after I went to New York I went to Chicago mm. and I did what I was supposed to do of course there was Second City on sketch writing but then <laughs> like four days before I got there they cancelled it oh. and I was a bit like I've come from the UK yeah. for this <laughs> and pre- but they were really they were very apologetic and they said you can drop in on all these different classes mm. so I did and they have this concept for sketch writing it's this idea of writing for abundance mm. and what I think is really interesting about this idea and I think it's kind of implied in the way it's described writing for abundance is this idea of you're in a writer's room you're giving a topic you just have to write a ton of um, sketch ideas or jokes or whatever on that theme mm. and in some ways I think it's maybe quite a commercial way of looking at the creative process it's about saying you know of these 50 ideas 49 of them are probably going to be shit but you have to get down to writing 49 of them mm. because you've just got to train yourself to sort of uh, do that mm. and I think that's an interesting there's that and then obviously there's also the, the, the other side of things which is you know creativity is difficult and it's not going to come from you, you can't squeeze it out of you you can't force it out of you mm. you know creativity comes from a place of lightness and if you're trying to beat yourself into creating something mm. that's not going to happen as well and if you're feeling exhausted don't push yourself too much so there's always that balance uh, between between the two which I guess is I'm kind of going around in circles and I've not really answered (laughs) any of the points. But for me personally, yes, I do try and I I give myself deadlines and I say to myself, right, this is how much content you have to make this Mm. week and you have to do that. And I do try and just push myself to to hit that mark, even if I personally feel I'm quite exhausted or... I've had a bad week or I'm not feeling great about myself or it's not sort of flowing. Mm. I was still just trying to push myself to to do it. Yeah, so that cause, uh, the, uh, lots of lots of bells being rung as you're kind of talking around that I mean, in particular the way you started about the needing to take on criticism but not not taking on too much and and a lot of the successful people that I see have a really good balance between those two things. And obviously, you know, you can have a bad balance and do well. You can be beating yourself up all the time and absolutely push yourself to extraordinary, but <laughs> you know, levels of uh, attention and success, but, but be miserable all the time and not have a great, you know, uh, and you know, it can have, it can come out in other areas of your life, not in a very unhealthy way. And we know a lot of successful people like that, that, you know, you can see the rest of their lives and like, wow, it wrecked carnage on the rest of their life. Mm. But they're, they're brilliant at what they do. And likewise, you can have people that are just think they're brilliant and have got no creative capacity whatsoever and mm. are going around thinking they're amazing and, <laughs> and they're not necessarily. But the, but the balance, I think everybody's on that spectrum of balance and you're very lucky if you can kind of, maneuver yourself to a kind of healthy balance within those two things so what is it that keeps you kind of anchored in the right like if how do you build a routine where you have to push yourself but 
not leave yourself open to being too relaxed, but not leave yourself open to being pushing yourself too hard. Like how have you f negotiated that for yourself where you kind of go, right, I'm going to, bottom line is I make three videos a week and I write five minutes of new material. Or mm. what's your kind of, do you have a formula that works for you? I don't have a formula. <laughs> X equals, yeah. No. I don't have a formula. I think... A bit of it is, I, th I think it's I think there's a part of it which is personality, mm. because before coming into doing comedy, I was obviously, well, I was obviously I was an actor, mm. and I went to drama school, and I came out of drama school, and then quite quickly was like, oh, I'm not actually getting called in for auditions, I'm not getting work, mm. and so I then put on a play. Mm. And I think that was my first experience of sort of leading my own project mm. and sort of saying, right, OK, so then I'm going to put a show on. Mm. And I think that maybe is what triggered that sense of, well, I'm just going to do this thing. Mm. And I remember at the time some friends being like, oh, my God, you're so brave. And I just was a bit like, do you know what, I haven't really overthought this. Mm. I've just gone, well, this is what I want to do. I think there can be an element of... Um, I'm trying to think about the right way to sort of frame this because I'm really conscious as well that everyone is different and, and everyone has a different, I suppose, sensitivity and also people all have different mental health and mm. I think it's really important for people to be really sensitive to their own mental health mm. and if you know that you're exhausting yourself and you can't do that mm. and that's going to push you to, for example, like a burnout, mm. then you need to stop mm. and if that means oh, I normally post two videos a week on social media, but actually, for whatever reason, in my personal life, in my life, outside of it, whatever, I can't do this for the next month. Don't post for the next month. Mm. I don't think that actually there is a formula to, you know, like beating yourself into a place where you have to do that. Mm. Um, so I think that's like a big caveat that, that has to sort of sit over everything else. Mm. Um, but for me personally, I think I don't really overthink stuff. Mm. And I think that's quite important. Mm. I put deadlines in place. I'll say, right, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing that. And I kind of think about it a bit when you're an actor and you're working with and, and, and you're doing a show and you're working with the director. The director will often give you feedback about your performance. Mm. And he might say, oh, in that scene, like, what's your intention? I don't really feel like that's working. Blah, blah, blah. So you're getting critiqued yeah. on what you just did. That is not... You can sit and you could take that critique. Absolutely. That's a part of your job. But you can still sit and take that critique in the knowledge that and in the strength of I'm a good actor. Mm. I'm a good actor just in that scene. That isn't how... That wasn't reading or, like, my performance wasn't working there or I can improve this mm. aspect of what I'm doing. So I don't think that every time one has a bum show or someone doesn't like what you've done or you get a bad critique or a bad piece of feedback that it needs to go to the core of, therefore I'm not funny, I'm not a funny person, I shouldn't be a comedian. Mm. I think, like, it's important to create a bit of a shell there and mm. to say, no, I'm funny and I'm good and I'm totally able to do this, but that show <laughs> mm. wasn't very good. 
<laughs> but that performance, maybe I wasn't great or this particular thing needs to be improved. Mm. And I think so. that's what I mean about it's like you've got to have a layer of you've got to protect yourself a bit. You yeah. go, this is how far I'll let that go, but I'm not going to allow it to rock me yeah. to my core. Yeah. And that's I, I, I really hear that your own relationship to kind of your own boundaries, mental health boundaries of what you can and can't do is you, you're thinking through it. Like, and I mean, I've the, I, what's the word? The neurodiversity or the diversity of mental health that everyone's on, on, uh, you know, on one part of that spectrum. And some people are more sensitive than others. And knowing your own sensitivity is key, you know, and, and this is a language that's only just really coming out. People aren't really, aware you know it's like you know a review a bad review might stop somebody doing stand-up altogether or might not even phase one person and you know and to know where you stand on that spectrum mm. is 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 hugely important as to how you relate to criticism of your of your work right i think it's always like i say this as like an ideal perspective yeah. ideally that's how you'll look at yourself and look at your work ideally you'll be like this is a bad critique but mm. that doesn't mean that I'm not a funny person yeah. and maybe some elements of this are true and maybe some elements of this aren't fine yeah. that's in an ideal scenario there's obviously times throughout a month throughout a year throughout yeah. a lifetime throughout a career where you're not going to you're not going to be able to as well manage that and I think that's also part of it so I'm saying this now as like a principle but mm. I always think it's kind of something that you're you're working on yeah. but that's why I think it's a little bit difficult when we talk about um like how your what in terms of like for example schedule mm. of like how you're scheduling your work or how you're organizing yourself because I could say something that I could say I probably I mean I don't know it's always difficult for me my work ethic might be completely different to someone else's work ethic yeah. I might think I'm you know, sometimes quite lazy and someone else might be like, oh my God, like you never stop working. Mm. So it's hard to uh, establish that. And I don't think that's always very healthy mm. to be like, yeah, well, do you know what? I gig seven nights a week and I wake up at seven and I'm emailing 50 people a day and like boom, 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 you know, because I don't know, I don't think that's a nice energy to spread. <laughs> like how much are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you obviously don't want it enough. Yeah. Because I don't think um, I don't think that's I don't think that's it doesn't have to be like that. I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think everyone does in a way what they can, mm. um, and I don't think it's nice to put pressure on people or to be like you obviously don't want to be a comedian if you're not doing seven nights a week. And yeah, yeah, if, yeah. you know I don't think that's um, yeah I don't think that's the right approach to to have. So I say all this. I say that's how I feel in terms of like this is how I manage my mental headspace when I'm doing it and I try and give myself deadlines and I try and say to myself right you're going to do two videos a week and post one picture for example on mm. Instagram and this is what you want to build and develop this week but if on that given week I don't achieve that yeah it's going to be there it's going to niggle me yeah I'll yeah. know it and it will be like present mm. but I think also learning to be like do you know what it's not the end of the world mm. you're really exhausted yeah you, you can't do it today, that's fine. Yeah, I, I can get up and just, okay, that's what happens. I mean, the for what I also hear in that is that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing is online. And like if I think of, so my kind of mental health 
in terms of reviews has always been I'm very sensitive to it like you know because because there's no you're not really peer reviewed I mean uh, it's funny because you're on in front of an audience you're getting laughed at and you just think oh I can totally do this but then somebody with a sense of authority in their pen comes along and there aren't that many opportunities in life where you actually get kind of peer reviewed so it's just like you know there's been times where I've absolutely crumbled and for years afterwards after getting just one bad review from a certain person whose view I respect like you know and in terms of like knowing that I wouldn't have kind of known that until those things have happened mm. and the reason I use my own uh, kind of career as an example of like if I think about being online and being relatively well known online like you know you're you're putting stuff online all the time you're there's a certain element of constant feedback <laughs> that you're getting there and you do have to interact with the, the with your fans of the people that are interacting with you so you must have quite a lot of kind of pushback in a negative way as well as a positive way or I don't know I don't know what that relationship is mm. but I've always thought that my own kind of feeling around being well known or being visible would be very conflicted because you know I'm a lot more sensitive than criticism than most mm. but um how do you risk like if I think of the most vulnerable places to be at the moment visible social media is one of them mm -hmm. um and how have you found that journey because you've kind of gone from like in lockdown really building the social media presence really mm -hmm. building visibility presence and obviously people are commenting having opinions this that and the other like how have you found it keeping an even keel in that respect um well the, the first thing i would say is that i do feel quite fortunate in the sense that uh i have to say that overwhelmingly the feedback i get for everything that i post is really positive mm. i don't seem to have attracted yet yeah yeah <laughs> that kind of um trolling yeah uh which i think you know inevitably you know you do have and you do get online yeah. Um, but so far I seem to have escaped that if I see a message in my DMs that starts with something negative I don't mm. open it right okay I just don't, you just kind of see the first line just like nah, we'll leave that yeah. not, not, not interested in, in, yeah. in looking at it um, I'll be honest on TikTok I actually don't read the comments yeah okay I post something I usually leave yeah um, because I've I have personally found that of TikTok and Instagram TikTok is a little bit I have found it to be a bit more of a controversial place. Yeah. As in, by controversial, I mean much more um, d uh, divisive. Mm. Some people are absolutely lovely and other people are really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, whereas on Instagram, usually people comment, it's usually to say something nice. Yeah. And then some people would just say, like, I don't find this funny. Mm. And, like, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think... I don't know. I think it's interesting because I think basically the, the the problem is, and this is a real act of like self control, mm. but um, not believing in yourself is not constructive to helping you build your career. Mm. Yeah. And so maybe there's an element of if you're ambitious and you know that you want to make this your career mm. because you don't want to be forever in the side job. And you have to believe in yourself mm. because otherwise it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And just, I suppose it makes me think of when Russell Brand said oh, he was a drug addict, but his ambition was greater mm. than his drug addiction. And he knew that in order to succeed, he had to stop being a drug addict. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a bit like that with self 
confidence and self-belief yeah. and having that kind of that firmness mm. um, that, you know, you are enough. Mm. It's about having that because actually I think you do need that. Mm. If your ambition is such that you want to succeed, mm. you sort of have to, you have to put a pin in that negativity because it's not serving you and yeah. it's not going to help you. Mm. I think, you know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I'm not there. Uh, well, it's part of the... I think that feels to me like it's... Part of the toolbox that yeah. you need in order to make it work. And like, absolutely. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people's um, career can be not... Hey, it's, it's almost like people aren't really working on being funny. They're working on being less negative to themselves mm. or backing themselves. Yeah. And it's fascinating to, to see that. Like often it could be the difference between just somebody winning a competition or having a moment or getting a little bit of recognition. It's just like it switches. You know, it's just like, you know, if I think of Louise Omelin of like knowing her early days and just, you know, Beyonce really being a push for mm. kind of like belief in herself at the same time and then getting that and then it, that really kind of cascading to her being able to do many, many other things that she wouldn't have been able to do pre that just for herself, you know, of like, but that grand gesture of belief is so kind of, um, so important to be able to put a pin in it. And, you know, some people can and some people can't. And it's like, totally. and, you know, and often that's not always what's interesting is I think about the, the relationship of the artist is that sometimes it feels like the artist's choice but sometimes it's just not. It's just a background issue. It's just like, you know... Completely. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think for me to be able to even say that I can put a pin in it, it's, mm. that's probably a privilege within itself mm. to be able to say that I've got the tools or the ability or I'm somewhat able to sort of um, say that voice is not serving me, I'm going to shut that down. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think absolutely that it is true that for some people... Um, and it can be so dependent on background and all of the voices and experiences you've had throughout mm. your own life that will enable you to do that or not enable you to do that. And then some people come to the table who have so much self-confidence for free mm. and it's sometimes even completely misplaced because they haven't got the skill to back it up. But mm. that confidence is going to carry them further than someone who's got really great talent but who is just so um, lacking in self-belief that they're mm. not going to put themselves in positions that someone else who hasn't got anywhere near as much talent in mm. because they're not going to believe they're going to achieve it. Mm. And that, I think, is a problem across the arts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember... I can't remember her name now, but... <laughs> this is so left field, but when Alexandra Schulman left um, Vogue, mm. there was... Uh, I can't remember the name of her creative director, but she wrote an article about this and she was sort of saying how what she, a big shift that she had seen, and this was in obviously the fashion industry, mm. was that there was this new age of people who were just basically confident, that people were coming up who were just confident and confidence seemed to be the main thing. If you had the confidence to be able to push yourself, you had the confidence to be able to do the job, mm. uh, then that was what was going to be that was what was going to work and that we they no longer had the space for people to be basically artists 
who had self-doubt and mm. who lacked self-confidence and who maybe needed time or needed a couple of seasons mm. as the designer for that particular fashion house to be able to find their groove and to to be able to believe in themselves. And there was no longer that period of being able to support someone and to watch them grow because it was so much more cutthroat and you just had to be like, boom, I'm here, I've arrived, I can do it, I'm confident. Mm. And she was talking about that shift in the fashion world. Mm. But I think that, you know, there's a parallel even in, in comedy where, mm. yeah, it's really difficult. I don't know where the space is for people to be... Um, to be insecure and 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 obviously when when you're a creative person, those things often go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. Well, you just don't knock at the door. You don't show up if you already think if you defeat yourself. There's a there's a Richard Todd line of <laughs> of like if you defeat yourself before you actually you know get onto stage, then mm. then you're definitely not going to do do that. And and part of that is also finding your voice. So like backing yourself. You recognise your own kind of abilities, your own the only things that make you interesting, and you're like, oh, I've got this. Like, so for example, for you, like your bilingualness, like the way that you kind of your relationship between the two languages and the playfulness mm-hmm. between those two things comes across so uniquely. Like, you know, and I, I I knew before I didn't know there was this bilingualness to it, but there's a your insight and playfulness around it feels. I know there will be many other people, but it's it's almost like you found a I don't know what your journey was to it, but you you almost looked at your own kind of background skill set, you know, what kind of what makes you you and gone, oh, there is this part of me that I've got, a, you know, that is interesting because mm. it is. And it's, you know, there's and you can see it in, in the kind of the channel that you've got and the creativity around the the um, the, the character and how you're playing out. Like, how did that come out that? kind of identifying that part of yourself and backing it? Well, it, I, I'd done stand-up before in French. Mm. To, so I'd done stand-up in French that had touched upon the difference between French and English people. And I had done it in French to a French audience in London. Mm. But I wasn't focusing on it because I didn't feel like it had the scope to extend beyond that. Mm. And it was nice to do it to a French audience in London, but I thought, well, that's... A limited audience you know how am I going to take a show like that up to Edinburgh or you know take it further than than this so when I had been doing stand-up on the English scene I hadn't really I hadn't referenced the fact that I was French it wasn't a sort of mm. big it wasn't at all even a part really of 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 my set it wasn't I wasn't focused on it I didn't feel like being French and English was a key part of my identity as a comedian at all actually yeah. but then during lockdown when I started doing videos online to explore just like doing videos online and to see if I could maybe, if it, to be A, be creative and then to hopefully see maybe there's, is there something I can build? I don't, I don't know. Let's give it a crack. There's no stand up happening. Mm. I did loads of different stuff. I didn't start with videos about French and English people. Mm. I did, I think maybe I did like 10 videos before I got to a French and English video. I'd done lots of different things. Mm. And then some of them would stick. I started doing videos of making sort of making fun of, um, or making fun of, it's not the right word, but 
sort of videos about mothers during lockdown and sort of like going, which because I was looking after my nieces during lockdown, so yeah. not quite a mother, but... That's certainly, well, a mother by proxy, really. Yeah. <laughs> looking after kids. And then a few people commented and they were like, but you're not a mother. And I thought, well, that's fair enough. Um, I'm not, and so <laughs> maybe... It's a very brutal comment. Just like yeah, <laughs> sure, but then when I stopped and I and I listened to it, I was like, to be fair, I'm not. Not to say that you can't make jokes about that if you're not, but I guess mm. I'm not a parent, so I can't really make this my niche. But then I did one video on French and English, and, and that went well, and then I thought, well, yeah, maybe there's more in this, and so it developed, it developed from there. But I wouldn't say I was immediately, like, pre-planned to make that my thing. I just tried lots of different things and then it seemed to go well and I thought, well, give the people what they want. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, there's give the people what they want, but there's also being able to do more of that. So, like, you know... So really, do the archaeology really do the work on it, and just like the, it feel did it did it feel a bit like, you know, it's almost like on an archaeological site you see something popping out of the ground, you go you you start rushing away and oh there's more here and there's more here and there's more here and suddenly you know you've unearthed an ark or mm. was it a bit like that or like I guess one one question I'd have is how what's your archaeology of that site like ongoing? So are you finding that like um what are the peaks of trough peaks and troughs creatively it's like this bit is easy oh it's hard to keep doing two a week and keeping finding new perspectives on it and you know and not tr- not treading old ground and i mean I, d- I don't know i don't know what the the areas are but i could imagine if you're keeping on topic what can you stay in topic how how much current how much um political or current affairs stuff are you mm. doing that could relate to that mm. and like to keep it fresh or mm. to keep it like how has it been creating on one topic or in one area i think um i think there's loads to do yeah. on it loads mm. um yeah and i think the more i sort of list things the more i think as you say on this current topic, one thing that I discovered as I was going through it was I, I did a video that was completely in French. Mm. And that did really, really well, mm. which I was surprised by. But that was just because I always thought it had to be French versus English. But then I did one video that was completely French, a French person on the English coast, mm. um, sort <laughs> of finding it, trying to explain to their French I've friends back it's home. Brilliant. It's a wonderful video. That, yeah. um, that, that they have nice beaches in England and yeah. <laughs> French people just not believing it. And I was surprised at how well that did mm. because it was all in, in French. Mm. Um, but so then that opened up the possibility of just having French videos. Mm. And then I did one of an English person watching football, which also had lots of views and yeah. did really well. Yeah. And that was just an English person. Mm. So I was suddenly like, oh, OK, so it doesn't always have to be French versus English, the differences between the two. Yeah. It can also be... Um, just on French people or French attitudes towards English people or certain mm. things and English attitudes towards certain things. And there is there is so much that I want to do that I'm excited about exploring and doing. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how long, mm. you know, it's going to go on for. It might be that in, you know, a year's time, I'm just like, well, there's nothing. I've done it to <laughs> death now. I'm moving on. Mm. But, um, but I haven't felt like I've got, like, creative block. Mm. In terms of how many videos... I can do the challenge has just been because I've had a full-time job Mm. and on top of that I'm trying to gig as much as possible to develop um sort of this because there's there's videos but also I'm a live stand-up comedian as well so wanting to make sure that I'm developing that competency Mm. so 
it's the time that has been a challenge, having the time to do it. Mm. That yeah. must be really hard because, like, you, how do you decide what area to push in and what area to take from, you know, take time from, like, you know, and what the relationship to, like, it's really clear, the job pays your money to pay your rent, right? I, I know what that is, I know what those hours are, I know what that kind of, you know, what the function of that is. But then the the tension between <clears throat> making online stuff, people kind of really, the, the amount of eyes that you get for, for, for things on this Scram or TikTok is vastly larger than the amount of eyes that you'd have in a live room. Mm. But in a live room, you're, you're able to work in a totally different way with something that is a totally different, more exciting art form in certain ways, and but also limited in other ways. Like, um, and yeah, how do you, I guess, I, I guess there's two questions. One being which, you don't have to have one that you prefer or working towards, but which you're working towards more, I'd ask, I'd be interested to know. And also, um, how you balance those, that, that time, because, you know, six gigs a week that's a lot that's a lot of traveling if nothing else because it's like you know you've got to lug your body from one place to another to actually do it in front of other bodies you know whereas online you can be at home doing it and kind of like um i, I in my mind they just run like concurrent to each other mm. um that's that's i don't i don't prioritize one over the other being have, building an audience online mm has given me a lot of opportunities in live gigs. Mm. So that is something that I really value. And I feel quite like, like in brackets, loyal mm. to the audience that I built online because I feel like they've, it, it, it's been so lovely having this. Mm. I feel like they've, they've brought me so much and they give me on level one, like validation, mm. but also like they come and see my live shows and they're so supportive and, it's just I do feel like I have like a bit of an audience, mm. and I'm just so grateful to them. Mm. Um, and so I want to keep on creating content as well, like f for them in a way. To to I don't know if that all sounds a bit stupid, but Not at all. just because I think I don't want to be like, oh great, yeah, thanks. This is <laughs> and now that I'm starting to get all these live gigs, like yeah. you know, <laughs> lockdown's over, like pff, bye bye. So long, losers. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. and but because also. Um, what I feel about the people who follow me and it's a bit of the energy of um, sort of the, the the content I make being bilingual and stuff mm. is that I feel like it's quite something... For me, it's quite special because mm. obviously I'm bilingual, I'm bicultural, I grew up in France, my mum's English. Mm. It's quite... Um, it's not a unique thing. Lots of people grew up in other countries but I guess what's nice about it is that I feel like there's like a community of people who like we all get each other there's an intimacy there's an intimacy, intimacy yeah in, there's in like kind of like oh my god yes or like people messaging me being like oh my god my husband's French I'm English like mm. everything about this resonates or people being like I lived in England for five years and you know just that kind of sense of like sometimes you might be the only English person mm. in a whole community of French people yeah. or sometimes you're the only Spanish person in French Canada mm. and just to have and I sometimes feel like when I make a video people they comment it's just like oh my god yeah like thank mm. you for yes it's exactly what that feels like thanks for giving voice to my experience yeah, yeah and 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 I really and I really like that and also for me Brexit's been awful and very upsetting 
to find myself in a position where I was always European and now suddenly I'm English. And mm. I know that lots of people have different feelings on Brexit and it's not about kind of um, saying one side is wrong or one side is right. All it can really be is related back to my personal experience. Yeah. And for me, it's been really difficult because I went from my home, like, you know, when you go back to the place you grew up, yeah. my home is France. That's yeah. where I grew up in rural Brittany. That's where my, you know, childhood bedroom is and first kiss and rode a bike, it's all over there. Mm. And then you're being told that you haven't got any official relationship to that territory anymore. Mm. Yeah, I grew up there, but I'm, I don't have French nationality. Mm. Um, so doing this online and finding that audience has been really nice for me as well because I feel like it's really, re it's really connecting me mm. with that part of myself. Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely going to keep doing the online stuff. If anything, I want to grow it. Mm. You know, I want to start a YouTube channel. I love to do a bilingual podcast. And I also think the bilingualness is really nice as well because I think so many people are global. So many people do live in one place but speak a second language and have parents from um, two different countries. And I think I really enjoy the fact that it's it's fluid and it's it's in French and it's in English, but lots of people are Spanish and I, I enjoy all of that. So I want to build on YouTube and I want to do more stuff on TikTok as well. Mm. So that's not going to stop mm. and the gigging's not going to stop, but I am quitting the, the day job. <laughs> yes, are you? Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be... If something's going to give, it's not going to yeah. be on like... It's not going to be my comedy content online. It's not going to be my live gigs. It's going to have to be the nine to five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. That's great news. Well, I hope, I hope that's happening soon. I mean, so that... I mean, there's something in what you're talking about there is you're talking about an audience. And like, if I talk to... Like, you know, briefly talking to somebody like um, Robin Ince and his experience of kind of really going out there and supporting Ricky Gervais on tour and being kind of, you know, and but then finding his audience of like, you know, doing his book club and slowly finding the more kind of the audience that are there for him. And that's a, it's almost like a personal journey for people sometimes. There's like, it's, it's finding your tribe, my friend Claire Murphy would say. You know, like she's a storyteller. She's a brilliant storyteller. You'd love her. She's a really good kind of like you know really um, great at making communities around her as well, and and making contact with people. But the um, but finding a tribe, finding people that get you, is almost like what finding an audience, a true audience is, of of like oh these people get me. And if you look at any of the 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 stand up shows that have really affected people, or even the theatres or theatre productions. If you look at kind of you know, DV8 or whoever's making amazing stuff, it's like it speaks to a resonant. It resonates with people in a deeper way than just like oh this this is interesting art. Mm. <laughs> this is you know there's a which is kind of really um, I I suppose what I'm saying is I've not heard somebody talk about their experience on social media like that which is kind of for me a very hopeful way of perceiving it um perceiving a an audience and a and a creative endeavor you know yeah well a lot a lot of people who follow me don't follow me from the uk mm. yeah it's like really international mm. um so it definitely does open up the possibilities of finding people who find you funny without just being limited to the nights you can go to and the geography of where you live, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I think is, it's, 
a great opportunity. Mm. And it's actually, it's one of the things that I'm going to start running this autumn and this winter is workshops on that, on mm. trying to reframe social media, not as, I mean, it's really hard because it's got a terrible rep, but mm. trying to, as a creative, looking at it as a different medium, a different creative medium, yeah. and looking at how actually, not just in terms of, utilizing it to promote your shows mm. but also exploring what is your voice on there and what do you enjoy doing yeah. and um and playing with that and having fun with it mm. uh that's something which which i think there's definitely scope for and looking at it as a different medium mm. because reels are a specific thing they're filmed in portrait mode mm. um they are going to be 30 seconds to one minute long it's something which benefits from consistency and that consistency is going to be a visual consistency but also a thematic consistency. Mm. So there's lots of ways in which you can sort of creatively put a hat on and go, okay, what, how, who am I on this? Yeah. Not necessarily who am I live, you know, it might, might, it might be completely different. It might be you do something on there and it resonates with people, yeah. <laughs> you know, all around the world. But when you do a live show, yeah. uh, you might, when when you do a live show as well, I guess there's an element of I'm going to this gig and I know that this gig is going to be this crowd and maybe I'm going to sort of select my material because I know that probably with this crowd yeah. these jokes might go down better, yeah. you know. Yeah. Or, you know, if I was doing a hen party, I might think, you know what, that bit about how much I hate men, that's going to go down great in this yeah. room. <laughs> But this other bit might not. So uh, you you have that with a, a live audience. But I guess when you're when you're creating online content, it's a bit like you're putting it out there, and and maybe the people come to you. Mm. So people kind of find find you. So it's a different kind of it's it's, it's a different process. Mm. Uh, well, I guess you can do a solo show, and then people come to your solo show as well. But. Um, but what what I would say is that when I then started gigging after having done all the stuff online about being French and English, yeah. my set didn't have any in, anything in it relevant to being French and English. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> How was that? That was <laughs> well. I, I, people were really nice, and um, because in my Instagram stories as well, I don't do, I do a bit of French and English stuff, but a lot of it is just me having yeah. dating disasters or being a bit maybe like goofy or whatever so people so i think people yeah people were always like really warm mm. but i did think to myself oh i guess you, online this is one thing and then people are coming to see you live yeah. and you're serving them up something completely different maybe that's a bit yeah that's not very consistent and how's how has that been like because obviously you so it's funny not obviously but you're doing the shows at 21 soho mm. and um so you've had to build live stuff as uh, that relates to online in terms of kind of inviting people because it's a more bilingual kind of setup. Like, how has it been? Like, so if you go and do, uh, I guess not a show to a hen party, but if you're doing a club or something like that, how much of that would give uh, your bilingual stuff? or bilingual material would you just go no I'm not going to show that part of myself now because mm -hmm. it's not really necessary and if there are people that know me in the audience it's, it's fine to be you know like more reals me than kind of like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and or do you do you try and kind of 
but it's 21 Soho, you can do stuff that everyone gets, so there's more in-jokes and you can play mm-hmm. around with an mm-hmm. assumed or a, or a, or a um, you can play around with a foreknowledge of you. Or mm-hmm. What's that relationship like? So it's a couple of different things. First of all, I had written uh, a show called La Franglaise, mm. which was French and English, mainly in French, all about the cultural differences between French and English people. Mm. I had done it once at the Etcetera Theatre as part of the Voila Festival mm. back in, I think, 2018. Yeah. And then it had been programmed as part of um, Crazy Cox for Brasserie Zedel. Uh, in Piccadilly. So I'd done it there once and I'd done it there once and I'd done snippets of it in Paris and that had really freaked me out because it hadn't gone well in Paris at all. (laughs) And I suddenly was like, well, the problem is is that prisons might not know people in England as well as I'm assuming they do. And so then I was like, well, the the problem with this is really you need to really know the English and really know the French in order to get the show. And so then I felt, well, that's really limiting myself. I don't know that I'm going to be able to do a show or use this in a set if I'm just doing it at a mixed bill night and everyone in the crowd is English. Mm. So I I buried it to some extent and then I just focused on doing uh, an English show. Mm. And so then when I started doing the online stuff and people were turning up to shows, I bought, I sort of like (laughs) dusted off that material and was like, okay, well, maybe there's something in this. And I did a first work in progress in Brighton mm. and I did it mostly in French, but quickly realised that actually the audience is either I'm funnier in English or they're more attuned to English or actually realising that it's not just French and English. There are a lot of people there who uh, often I would say that people have some element of um, they've, they've got a duality, a, 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 sorry, a dual nationality somewhere. Mm. So people would be like, I'm Cypriot and I'm English or I'm Canadian and I'm English or, but, but they weren't all French speaking. Mm. And so I did it in English and, and it went down and, and it went down well. Mm. And so the show that I do at 21 Soho is a mixed bill show. Mm. And it's nice if the comedians have some sort of link in some way to France, not necessarily, but usually it's nice if there's an element of, so I had, for example, Elf Lines on the bill mm. um, when I did it in J- July. And I also had um, Katie Pritchard, who does a whole thing on Joan of Arc. And so there was these elements of, of French just there. And I MC it and I do bits of that mm. material about the French and English in between the acts being on stage. Mm. But the, the what I'm working on at the moment is building up towards the solo show, which is actually going to be in English, mm. which is going to be all of that French and English stuff, but but those observations about difference in culture, but sort of tied into a show about, about Europeanness and about nationality and about what it means to be... Uh, the person that I am in this post-Brexit world and how that compares to my experience of moving to France in 1994 as an English girl. And, you know, we just signed the Treaty of Maastricht and mm. Europe was this new place, you know, a year in Provence yeah. place, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's the show show that I'm developing. Now, what has been in- interesting is now I've taken bits of that stuff that I do in French and English mm. and I've started doing it in just English nights mm. and it's gone down well mm. and I've been surprised I've been like oh okay so this is material that is like 
two years old that I wrote ages ago, yeah. but now I'm doing it again. I sort of originally just thought, well, this is never going to work in a crowd. Mm. They don't, they don't, haven't lived in France, yeah. and then I'm doing it. I'm just like, oh no, people get this and they and and they like it. Mm. So so now I've integrated bits of that. So when I do the French nights, I'm just doing French and English yeah. m- m- material, and when I do. Uh, sort of in brackets English nights yeah. uh, where people don't follow me online or, or you know it's just a random mix bill night I'm sort of signed, signed up to then I do a mix of some of that French and English stuff and I also have a whole uh, 10 15 minutes of material that has nothing to do with being French and English yeah that's I mean it's fascinating because it's such a I mean I, I don't know if you know Yassine Belhous mm-hmm. uh, he's a French comedian He's kind of, um, or obviously there's Eddie Izzard as well, but there's uh, uh, Gal Gadot and a, a lot of the other kind of people that have come through here. And they talk about, they're, they're, them talking about doing bilingual kind of comedy, bilingual, it is a totally different field. But for a group of, like, I know that you had Masood at 21 Soho. Like, he's an international, he, was, he grew up in international school. And there are a lot of, I mean, there's this phrase at the moment called digital nomads, which is people that kind of like can can write and work anywhere. But it's like, I think there are a lot of kind of cultural nomads, you know, people that are kind of, you know, almost unified by them having a flexibility of perspective and a cultural flexibility or a cultural mm. kind of, which is, it feels very new, feels very modern, but it does feel like there's a lot of people that that applies to, you know, and also... <laughs> there's so much to talk about in it like right now in the rise of nationalism mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody you know it's like some people are hunkering down to keep the borders and mm. you know and other people are just like no no wait um remember the dream we had mm. <laughs> we had this dream where we're all there were no borders and yeah so there's something i guess poignantly political about what you're doing as well would you say well, it's really interesting you say that because the other day someone posted on... Uh, so I, I, I did the show. I did a show on the 14th of July at 21 Soho mm. and there was a 100 people in the room and it was to celebrate, of course, La Prise de la Bastille, um, French national holiday, uh, the storming of the Bastille. And so at the end of the show, we all sang the French national anthem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I did a post about it just saying, like, how lovely it was to have so many French people and so many Europeans in the room. And it was a big, basically, fuck yeah. you to Brexit. Yeah. And someone posted on that and was like, I can't believe I'm making this political. Yeah. I can't believe you said that. You're going to lose half of your audience because half of the people voted in favour of Brexit. Like, I don't know why comedians feel the need to make everything... Uh, political and make everything, you know, and and so on and so forth. This sort of post about it. I don't care that that this particular person or someone in general voted in favour of Brexit. I, I obviously didn't, and I personally am not in favour of it. But I'm not. I it, I wouldn't break. I wouldn't not break bread with you because you voted for Brexit. Or I don't think you're a terrible person. It's yeah. like whatever. You know, each of their own, and everyone can have their own opinion on things. But for you to come to a page which is bilingual, 
and and be surprised yeah. <laughs> that I'm going to be anti-Brexit. Yeah. I just feel like, well, obviously, like, I don't really feel like I need to say that I'm anti-Brexit. I yeah. just feel like inherently, because I would not exist and the comedy I do would not exist were it not for the existence of the European Union, yeah. because yeah. I would not have lived in France. Yeah. <laughs> so inherently, everything about it is going to be in favour of Europe and that and that is personally how I feel mm. and and I sort of said to her look you know of course like um I completely allow everyone's opinion on however you feel about this but if you want to stop following me because I'm anti-Brexit then by all means do you know if that's the hill I die on that's the mm. hill I die on yeah, yeah. if you cut your audience in half then you go fair enough you obviously weren't my people because mm. that's that is how I feel and I'm very happy for that to be my sort of or to be on my calling card, if, if you mm. see what I mean. And definitely everything you're saying is completely true. And I think that's what I'm exploring or hoping to explore in the show that I'm writing is this sense of fluidity of nationality and how there's this weird sort of thing happening where on the one hand, people are hankering down to borders and mm. want to create, and maybe it's tied in with wanting to find community or or through patriotism wanting to have a sense of belonging. And maybe some people feel they don't belong anymore. I, I don't know. But then there's also this other thing where we have globalisation, we have global movement of people, and we have people who whose parents are Dutch, but who's... Well, one parent's Dutch, one parent's German, but they were raised in Singapore. Yeah. And... And then you're telling this person, well, what are you? And you're like, well, I'm German. I mean, I was born in Zimbabwe. I was raised in France. My mum is English. I moved back to England when I was 18. I don't have French nationality, but I was raised from the age of four. I moved back to England when I was 14 for six months. I went to school in North Yorkshire where I was obviously... I wasn't even just Southern, I was French. I was treated as French. I was called a froggy. You know, right. I was very much like the French girl. And I went from being the English girl and I was sort of like, well, do you know what you're... Yeah. You're not any of... You yeah. You know, you know, maybe you're not going to ever geographically fit somewhere into a mould. So, and when I did, when I did a, a work in progress the other day, Issa Bonachera came, hmm. who's obviously a Spanish uh, comedian living in London. And she... I mean, chatted about it afterwards and she resonated with the show in a lot of these points. She was like, that's, that is, mm. it's that, isn't it? It's living somewhere for a decade or more. And then suddenly being like, shit, I'm not English. I'm yeah. not, I'm not Spanish anymore, but I'm also in brackets, not English, English. And, and, mm. and so, yes. And so I think that's what I definitely feel. And I, and I realized through doing the stuff online that I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm I'm going to sound a lot more literate than I am. Uh, I just did an English degree, um, but there's a Seamus Heaney poem about. Oh, Barry! Check you. Yeah, I know. Just the one one thing that I know. My but, check. But in emigrate is the phrase that he uses when talking about um, Northern Ireland, which is in his uh, lexicon, it is neither Irish nor English. It's it, it's a mix of both, and so therefore. You know, how do you solve the? How do you solve it? Because it doesn't quite. You can't quite place yourself comfortably in either. Mm. But that idea of being an inner emigre, of being both an outsider and an insider at the same time, you absolutely fit in. But you see outside, there is. You know, I think uh, there is a historical precedent for it. In you know, certainly in you know, if you look at 
kind of mass migrations of people, but it's never been as prevalent as you know it is today uh, because of, uh, travel has never been as as widely taken up and people haven't had the ability to be able to you know go work in Zimbabwe or South Africa or wherever else and then move again and you know um but it's yeah it's a really interesting kind of you know modern phenomenon but it also I, I suppose the thing that I'm hearing you say when you're talking about all this is that you know there's a coherence to your worldview and your own life that your art makes sense of and that must be that you know there is a a resonance I think sometimes when people are creating stuff where it's a reflection of themselves mm. which is I I'd expect I, I see sometimes a kind of relief of like yes this is me great, I've got so much to say on this and people are, list, you know, the people that are watching are me as well. So it's like, oh, great, and there's that and there's that and I can talk about that. And it's almost like, I, I suppose this is the question, but but would be my interpretation is that the form in which you're saying these things is less important than you saying them. It's like whether it's online and Instagram, whether it's TikTok, whether it's on the the stand-up scene or however it's, you know, or whether you're teaching courses to, like, it's just like I've got, the, this poem is written on my soul and I get a chance to say it in lots of different mediums. Mm. And um, I don't know whether I'm just projecting, mm. <laughs> but how much of that is true for you that you're kind of like, yes, right now this I've got a lot to say on this and it actually I'm just interested in finding different ways of saying it. Mm. I don't know. Obviously, it's a thing, isn't it? Write, write what you know. Yeah. And start with, I suppose, who you are. Mm. And if I look at some of the stuff that I've written, so um, the first theatre show that I did in collaboration with um, two friends of mine, Katie and Bess, who mm. I went to drama school with, for, um, again, a European festival in mm. in London... That was a bilingual show. Mm. Um, it was a, a play by by Molière uh, called Les Précieux Ridicules, and we had um, modernised it and translated it. And mm. so we did bits of it in English and bits of it in French. So it's funny because that was one of the first things I did, and it was bilingual. Mm. So I guess as a starting point, that's sort of where that, that began. Mm. And then I've also, um, in terms of like, the writing that I do, I did a, I've written also a kind of, started as a short film, but kind of, I suppose, this idea of um, a sitcom. I mean, it's, you know, just everyone's, every fucking comedian's got a sitcom <laughs> somewhere. Well, yeah. But but based on that experience of of being, um, of, of moving to France in the early 90s yeah. uh, with a mum who doesn't speak a word of French and three sisters in tow. And so that, was also written before I was doing any of the yeah. online content stuff. And then I'd obviously written the solo show, mm. <laughs> which I'm now kind of reworking, called La Franglaise, you know, Frang in, in Franglish. So I suppose, yeah, if you look at the catalogue of work that I'd already developed before I'd even started doing the online sketches, so much of it was mm. around the French and English stuff. Mm. But also, you never know, I guess, when... When, when you're a comedian you, you or you're creating content or you've been a creative, you don't know what people really want to hear from you. Yeah. And there's an element of you are being a bit... Um, you, 
you're open to adapting because also you're sort of like, I do want you to laugh. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah, I'm coming here with my own agenda of yeah. this is what I want to talk about. But if you don't want to hear about that, then I'll write something different. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find a different agenda. <laughs> I'll find a different agenda because you know what? Do you sort of wanna, you know, And you know, it's good to get paid. It's good it's to get good paid. To have <laughs> kind of, it's good to have an audience because otherwise I'm just a person in a field exactly. that isn't Glastonbury on my own giving these. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I was writing all of that kind of stuff, but also... If people weren't going to be up for it, mm. then 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 I wasn't going to do it as well. You know, there's there's other aspects to myself. You know, the yeah, of course, thirty two year old woman living in London, and yeah. God knows there's so much to say about that. So yeah. there's lots of other things that I might have explored as well. But it just so happens that people have gone. No, yes, we do want to hear about this, mm. and that is something that some people relate to. And so it's allowed me to say, oh, so I can lean into this, great. Mm. Because it's always going to be a part of myself, the fact that I'm French and English. And I think with Brexit, um, I felt it I felt it more strongly mm. because I felt like I needed to say it out loud. Yeah, and like, you weren't hearing it. So it's like there's this thirst, like, yeah. please, God, could somebody say this? Yeah. yeah, and also because I was like, if I don't tell people that I grew up in France, yeah. it's like it's never happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't have nationality and I don't live there anymore. Mm. So unless I say it, yeah, yeah. unless I shout about it, mm. how will I even remember that it happened? Mm. It's like it's been sub retrospectively mm. sort of taken away the opportunity to be French. Mm. And now I feel like I need to be loud about it because I am that and this did happen and I feel really attached to it. Yeah. And I want to make sure that that part of me doesn't disappear. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, Sigmund Freud said, somebody I was asking him, how are you successful? Because I just shit in the same place. And eventually people smell it because I shit <laughs> in the same place. And, <laughs> and thanks, Barry. <laughs> thanks. But, but That's like, exactly what I'm doing. But we're all like, you know, I think one of the things is like if you're consistent and you've got the, the consistency of message it could be a brilliant message um and it's a really important message but you do have to there does have to be a consistency in order for people to smell it <laughs> I don't mm. know, but i'm you know i mean i kind of see the artistic process a bit like that anyway the food comes in and we kind of you know it's a process and it comes out of us and we don't often get a choose a choice at what we make because our life is you know is what we lead and we don't often choose that but yeah. it's um but where do you see... I, we've got to wrap up so, soon, but I'm... I, also, can I just say, because I do on. think this is hilarious, we're, like, talking... <laughs> I just want to be clear, like... Yeah, yeah, I know. My jokes are really, like, stupid <laughs> as fuck. Do you know what I mean? It's all yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, so just, you know, spouse of nationality <laughs> and identity, but it's literally me just being, like, Frenchman, Englishman. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, well, it's listen, it's not that about, highbrow. When you talk about fake tan, what that says to me is... Um, we're tanning... Um, so where where do you would you like to be moving towards? So you're quitting the day job, and you, which is amazing, which is phenomenal. And we were speaking a bit before we came to start recording it about making it being the joy of, you know, as an artist, just making it and getting paid for making it and being able to make it is as good as it gets. Like it's you know it's just like great. That's the bottom line. Am I able to create stuff? Like but. Even with that in mind, where would you like to be headed towards? Are you thinking because you've got an international kind of um, f like increasingly international um, engagement that you're like, all right, I'd love to tour. Or I'd love to put a show together in that way. Or what What have you got your kind of um, 
uh, sights on in terms of where where you'd like to go? I mean, a lot of it's circumstantial, but mm. have you got an idea of kind of what you'd like to, what you might like to be building towards? Well, I, I mean, I am definitely going to. I mean, it's you say it's a tour for me. Mm. <laughs> it's um, yeah. So the, the the show that I'm developing at the moment, which I haven't got a clear name for yet, but it's going to touch on all this. It's going to be a lot of jokes a lot of stupid jokes about French and English people, but hopefully if I can weave in somewhere some sort of meaningful message about <laughs> the fluidity of nationality and the rise of uh, nationalism, uh, then it, 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 it... You should you should take Bo Burnham's and just call it Outside. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, yeah, it's a reference on Bill Burnham's Inside, and it's like it's about everywhere else. Uh, othering place. or others, or I don't know, or like fluid nationality or identity wars, I don't know. Mm. But it, w- whatever that show is going to be, that's a show that I'm developing. Mm. Um, and I would, yeah, I'd like to go on tour. But for me, tour is just literally, I'm talking to, um, I'm, t- I'm, I'm in conversation right now about putting some shows on in Paris. Mm. Just because people message me, they're like, you're going to come to Paris? And I'm yeah. like, sure. I've, sure. Got, I've, I've quit my job. Like, let's get some shows. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, um, so I'm going to maybe do some bits in Paris. I'm... Um, I grew up in Brittany, so maybe I'll see if I can put a show on in Brittany. Mm. Um, I'm probably, but that, but me doing a tour is just me renting a theatre and seeing if people want to come. Like yeah. I don't, I haven't got. I'm not sort of like it's a national tour. It's just yeah. literally like if I can sell tickets in Nottingham, I'll come to Nottingham. Yeah. Like yeah. I'd love to come to. I Nottingham. think that's all tours, though, really. Right, isn't it's it? Like, but you know, what I mean yeah. is, I'm not attached to a production company yeah, yeah, yeah. who are like producing my show and making it a big hoo ha. It's just literally because people. But, People message me on Instagram and they're like, are you going to come to Nottingham? And I'd be yeah. like, if you want me to come to Nottingham, if I can sell enough tickets that it will be, yeah. I, I, I can afford to come to Nottingham, I'm coming to Nottingham. But that's the dream, really. I mean, you know, I think it's that's the dream of social media is it's like it's, it's a route straight to the uh, your audience, mm. you know, and you don't necessarily need to go through a, you know, a Mick Perrin or a whoever else is touring, putting tours together, just like, you know what? I know that I've got this audience, and I can get this venue, and I can, and people can come along. You know, yeah. you, can t- you can take Nottingham Glee on a Monday and go right. Listen, I can fill it for you. How much is it to hire? And, yeah. You know. Well, if if anything, I suppose. I mean, this is a bit more of a delicate conversation, but there's then something there about the fact that you 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 know that you are going to fill it just from your online audience, mm. and so you're a bit like so. Why would I get anyone else involved? Yeah, yeah, precisely. What What are they going to do? Sorry, <laughs> but that's you know. I think that's so they'll be like, well, I don't need you yeah. to advertise this because I'm going to advertise it. Yeah. Um, but that's backing yourself at the same time. You know, if like you you thought things through, and that's definitely come through in this conversation. Like, but how much detail? Like, like even if you're talking, it's something that you were when you were saying talking about videos and putting stuff you know um multilingual videos together and i was saying oh is there a kind of you know a limit to that it's like and it became very clear like well no there's not because you apply your creativity to it and (laughs) you scrutinize it and go well there's loads of stuff you can say Mm. that that's inexhaustible really because there are so many different variables and different ways of applying it but it's that kind of attention to detail of going you know as soon as you put an attention to detail to it it's just like well no i all I need to do is hire the venue and there needs to be one person helping on front of house and that's fine. <laughs> People can turn up and there's a, you know, there's a show there because yeah. I can do the rest. I can turn up and do the show. Yeah. You know. So that's, I mean, so for me, it's, um, it's put, so, so putting together the show, 
I want, but but what's exciting about the show now for me is that I think mm. it might also work okay with an English crowd. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I and it would be lovely if it was just warm and and it had mm. an. I, I would love it if people came and they felt like, um, and they and and it felt a bit not like they were in France, but yeah. it's just a little moment to be like. I want it to be joyful and warm, yeah. and also there'll be all the thing about nationality and fine whatever. But but just to feel a little bit uh, like. Um, Oh, what's like in French? You got the word soudé, but just this kind of this coming togetherness yeah. that I hope sort of people. That's what I would like to achieve with with the show. Mm. So um, maybe take it to Edinburgh uh, mm. next year. So that's sort of what I have in mind, and yeah, just to build and and, and try and build the YouTube stuff and and build on on TikTok really and yeah. on Instagram which I, when we say it out loud it sounds awful but <laughs> well you say that like uh, and this is kind of the thing that I've been most kind of surprised by talking to you and in more detail about this but that coming together and the joyfulness it's like you know you're really using the things as tools but there is actually there's a gift there as well and there's a connection with people it's like when I do my shows on Arthur Seat I'm always surprised everyone sticks around afterwards. Everyone just wants to hang out because it's unexpected and it's joyful. And there's, you know, there's everybody's made an effort to be there, but everyone's by dint of them all being there, they're all on the same page and they're among f friends or mm. it feels familial in some way. Mm. And those kind of gigs sometimes happens here at Angel. It sometimes happens, you know, or it can happen in a green room with a load of performers that have been on stage at a really nice gig. And you're just hanging out because it's just like, oh, this is, we're family now. You've been through something together and you've mm. been. But it, it seems that you're kind of like your audience is really has that, which is kind of, I don't know. I kind of really want to go to one of your shows. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, and I know enough French. I know enough French that I kind of like. I can. I can. I can understand the purely French videos. So I'm well, kind of like, what's what's happening now? Too, but like like I said before, a lot of it is in English. Yeah. Now, because actually, I realised that that's. Oh, but it makes you feel so clever when I understand the French. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm Barry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 I definitely engage with. You know, I do always a French playlist yeah, on my yeah. shows mm. and. People, you know, and and I'm um, sort of get the red wine out, you know. Yeah. Let's mm -hmm. yeah. so, yeah, create a, a sort of petite France yeah. in yeah. London kind of um, vibe. But um, but yeah, well yeah, you should come. Yeah, well, um, thank you so much. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat, and I'm looking forward to performing tonight. So yeah, nice. thank you for having me, Barry, Thanks, and Tassie. thank you to um, uh, Angel Comedy Club, one of my fa well, one of my favorite, my favorite comedy club. No probably, I should, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, precisely. Other, yeah. other comedy clubs. I worked that, here. To, to, yeah, you, you did. Didn't precisely. This. You know, I used to work right. here. That was Tati McLeod. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Tati. And um, yeah, as I say, there's a there's two extra endings to that conversation on Patreon right now. Will have been uploaded exactly the same time. So do join our Patreon for as little as two pound fifty a month, and you get all the other extra, extra perks as well as the extra endings for that conversation with Tati. Thanks very much for listening. This has been the Angel Comedy Podcast, and um, I will talk to you again hopefully soon. Take care. Bye, everyone. <laughs>